the preamble part twelve of laws by plato translated by benjamin jowett this librivox recording is in the public domain the preamble part twelve the want of completeness in the laws becomes more apparent in the later books there is less arrangement in them and the transitions are more abrupt from one subject to another yet they contain several noble passages such as the prelude to the discourse concerning the honour and dishonour of parents or the picture of the dangers attending the friendly intercourse of young men and maidens with one another or the soothing remonstrance which is addressed to the dying man respecting his right to do what he will with his own or the fine description of the burial of the dead the subject of religion in book ten is introduced as a prelude to offences against the gods and this portion of the work appears to be executed in plato's best manner in the last four books several questions occur for consideration among them are one the detection and punishment of offences two the nature of the voluntary and involuntary three the arguments against atheism and against the opinion that the gods have no care of human affairs four the remarks upon retail trade five the institution of the nocturnal council one a weak point in the laws of plato is the amount of inquisition into private life which is to be made by the rulers the magistrate is always watching and waylaying the citizens he is constantly to receive information against improprieties of life plato does not seem to be aware that espionage can only have a negative effect he has not yet discovered the boundary line which parts the domain of law from that of morality or social life men will not tell of one another nor will he ever be the most honoured citizen who gives the most frequent information about offenders to the magistrates as in some writers of fiction so also in philosophers we may observe the effect of age plato becomes more conservative as he grows older and he would govern the world entirely by men like himself who are above fifty years of age for in them he hopes to find a principle of stability he does not remark that in destroying the freedom he is destroying also the life of the state in reducing all the citizens to rule and measure he would have been depriving the magnesian colony of those great men whose acquaintance is beyond all price and he would have found that in the worst governed hellenic state there was more of a carriere ouverte for extraordinary genius and virtue than in his own plato has an evident dislike of the athenian dicasteries he prefers a few judges who take a leading part in the conduct of trials to a great number who only listen in silence he allows of two appeals in each case however with an increase of the penalty modern jurists would disapprove of the redress of injustice being purchased only at an increasing risk though indirectly the burden of legal expenses which seems to have been little felt among the athenians has a similar effect the love of litigation which is a remnant of barbarism quite as much as a corruption of civilization and was innate in the athenian people is diminished in the new state by the imposition of severe penalties if persevered in it is to be punished with death 
in the laws murder and homicide besides being crimes are also pollutions regarded from this point of view the estimate of such offences is apt to depend on accidental circumstances such as the shedding of blood and not on the real guilt of the offender or the injury done to society they are measured by the horror which they arouse in a barbarous age for there is a superstition in law as well as in religion and the feelings of a primitive age have a traditional hold on the mass of the people on the other hand plato is innocent of the barbarity which would visit the sins of the fathers upon the children and he is quite aware that punishment has an eye to the future and not to the past compared with that of most european nations in the last century his penal code though sometimes capricious is reasonable and humane a defect in plato's criminal jurisprudence is his remission of the punishment when the homicide has obtained the forgiveness of the murdered person as if crime were a personal affair between individuals and not an offence against the state there is a ridiculous disproportion in his punishments because a slave may fairly receive a blow for stealing one fig or one bunch of grapes or a tradesman for selling an adulterated goods to the value of one drachma it is rather hard upon the slave that he should receive as many blows as he has taken grapes or figs or upon the tradesman who has sold adulterated goods to the value of a thousand drachmas that he should receive a thousand blows two but before punishment can be inflicted at all the legislator must determine the nature of the voluntary and involuntary the great question of the freedom of the will which in modern times has been worn threadbare with purely abstract discussion was approached both by plato and aristotle first from the judicial secondly from the sophistical point of view they were puzzled by the degrees and kinds of crime they observed also that the law only punished hurts which are inflicted by a voluntary agent on an involuntary patient in attempting to distinguish between hurt and injury plato says that mere hurt is not injury but that a benefit when done in a wrong spirit may sometimes injure for example when conferred without regard to right and wrong or to the good or evil consequences which may follow he means to say that the good or evil disposition of the agent is the principle which characterizes actions and this is not sufficiently described by the terms voluntary and involuntary you may hurt another involuntarily and no one would suppose that you had injured him and you may hurt him voluntarily as an inflicting punishment neither is this injury but if you hurt him from motives of avarice ambition or cowardly fear this is injury injustice is also described as the victory of desire or passion or self-conceit over reason as justice is the subordination of them to reason in some paradoxical sense plato is disposed to affirm all injustice to be involuntary because no man would do injustice who knew that it never paid and could calculate the consequences of what he was doing yet on the other hand he admits that the distinction of voluntary and involuntary taken in another and more obvious sense is the basis of legislation his conception of justice and injustice is complicated one by the want of a distinction between justice and virtue that is to say between the quality which primarily regards others and the quality in which self and others are equally regarded two by the confusion of doing and suffering justice 
three by the unwillingness to renounce the old socratic paradox that evil is involuntary three the laws rest on a religious foundation in this respect they bear the stamp of primitive legislation they do not escape the almost inevitable consequence of making irreligion penal if laws are based upon religion the greatest offence against them must be irreligion hence the necessity for what in modern language and according to a distinction which plato would scarcely have understood might be termed persecution but the spirit of persecution in plato unlike that of modern religious bodies arises out of the desire to enforce a true and simple form of religion and is directed against the superstitions which tend to degrade mankind sir thomas more in his utopia is in favour of tolerating all except the intolerant though he would not promote to high offices those who disbelieved in the immortality of the soul plato has not advanced quite so far as this in the path of toleration but in judging of his enlightenment we must remember that the evils of necromancy and divination were far greater than those of intolerance in the ancient world human nature is always having recourse to the first but only when organized into some form of priesthood falls into the other although in primitive as in later ages the institution of a priesthood may claim probably to be an advance on some form of religion which preceded the laws would have rested on a sounder foundation if plato had ever distinctly realized to his mind the difference between crime and sin or vice of this as of many other controversies a clear definition might have been the end but such a definition belongs to a later age of philosophy the arguments which plato uses for the being of a god have an extremely modern character first the consensus gentium secondly the argument which has already been adduced in the phaedrus of the priority of the self-moved the answer to those who say that god cares not is that he governs by general laws and that he who takes care of the great will assuredly take care of the small plato did not feel and has not attempted to consider the difficulty of reconciling the special with the general providence of god yet he is on the road to a solution when he regards the world as a whole of which all the parts work together towards the final end we are surprised to find that the scepticism which we attribute to young men in our own day existed then parentheses, compare republic that the epicureanism expressed in the line of horace parentheses, borrowed from lucretius namque deos didisci cesurum ageri iwum was already prevalent in the age of plato and that the terrors of another world were freely used in order to gain advantages over the other men in this the same objection which struck the psalmist when i saw the prosperity of the wicked is supposed to lie at the root of the better sort of unbelief and the answer is substantially the same which the modern theologian would offer that the ways of god in this world cannot be justified unless there be a future state of rewards and punishments yet this future state of rewards and punishments is in plato's view not any addition of happiness or suffering imposed from without but the permanence of good and evil in the soul 
here he is in advance of many modern theologians the greek too had his difficulty about the existence of evil which in one solitary passage remarkable for being inconsistent with his general system plato explains after the magian fashion by a good and evil spirit parentheses compare capital t h e a e t period comma statesman this passage is also remarkable for being at variance with the general optimism of the tenth book not all things are ordered by god for the best but some things by a good others by an evil spirit the tenth book of the laws presents a picture of the state of belief among the greeks singularly like that of the world in which we live plato is disposed to attribute the incredulity of his own age to several causes first to the bad effect of mythological tales of which he retains his disapproval but he has a weak side for antiquity and is unwilling as in the republic wholly to proscribe them secondly he remarks the self-conceit of a newly-fledged generation of philosophers who declare that the sun moon and stars are earth and stones only and who also maintain that the gods are made by the laws of the state thirdly he notes a confusion in the minds of men arising out of their misinterpretation of the appearances of the world around them they do not always see the righteous rewarded and the wicked punished so in modern times there are some whose infidelity has arisen from doubts about the inspiration of ancient writings others who have been made unbelievers by physical science or again by the seemingly political character of religion while there is a third class to whose minds the difficulty of justifying the ways of god to man has been the chief stumbling-block plato is very much out of temper at the impiety of some of his contemporaries yet he is determined to reason with the victims as he regards them of these illusions before he punishes them his answer to the unbelievers is twofold first that the soul is prior to the body secondly that the ruler of the universe being perfect has made all things with a view to their perfection the difficulties arising out of ancient sacred writings were far less serious in the age of plato than in our own we too have our popular epicureanism which would allow the world to go on as if there were no god when the belief in him whether of ancient or modern times begins to fade away men relegate him either in theory or practice into a distant heaven they do not like expressly to deny god when it is more convenient to forget him and so the theory of the epicurean becomes the practice of mankind in general nor can we be said to be free from that which plato justly considers to be the worst unbelief of those who put superstition in the place of true religion for the larger half of christians continue to assert that the justice of god may be turned aside by gifts and if not by the odour of fat and the sacrifice steaming to heaven still by another kind of sacrifice placed upon the altar by masses for the quick and dead by dispensations by building churches by rites and ceremonies by the same means which the heathen use taking other names and shapes and the indifference of epicureanism and unbelief is in two ways the parent of superstition partly because it permits and also because it creates a necessity for its development in religious and enthusiastic temperaments if men cannot have a rational belief they will have an 
irrational and hence the most superstitious countries are also at a certain point of civilization the most unbelieving and the revolution which takes one direction is quickly followed by a reaction in the other so we may read between the lines ancient history and philosophy into modern and modern into ancient whether we compare the theory of greek philosophy with the christian religion or the practice of the gentile world with the practice of the christian world they will be found to differ more in words and less in reality than we might have supposed the greater opposition which is sometimes made between them seems to arise chiefly out of a comparison of the ideal of the one with the practice of the other to the errors of superstition and unbelief plato opposes the simple and natural truth of religion the best and highest whether conceived in the form of a person or a principle as a divine mind or as the idea of good is believed by him to be the basis of human life that all things are working together for good to the good and evil to the evil in this or in some other world to which human actions are transferred is the sum of his faith or theology unlike socrates he is absolutely free from superstition religion and morality are one and indivisible to him he dislikes the heathen mythology which as he significantly remarks was not tolerated in crete and perhaps for the meaning of his words is not quite clear at sparta he gives no encouragement to individual enthusiasm the establishment of religion could only be the work of a mighty intellect like the hebrews he prohibits private rites for the avoidance of superstition he would transfer all worship of the gods to the public temples he would not have men and women consecrating the accidents of their lives he trusts to human punishments and not to divine judgments though he is not unwilling to repeat the old tradition that certain kinds of dishonesty prevent a man from having a family he considers that the ages of faith have passed away and cannot now be recalled yet he is far from wishing to extirpate the sentiment of religion which he sees to be common to all mankind barbarians as well as hellenes he remarks that no one passes through life without sooner or later experiencing its power to which we may add the further remark that the greater the irreligion the more violent has often been the religious reaction it is remarkable that plato's account of mind at the end of the laws goes beyond anaxagoras and beyond himself in any of his previous writings aristotle in a well-known passage parentheses, capital M -E -T, period, which is an echo of the phaedo remarks on the inconsistency of anaxagoras in introducing the agency of mind and yet having recourse to other and inferior probably material causes but plato makes the further criticism that the error of anaxagoras consisted not in denying the universal agency of mind but in denying the priority or as we should say the eternity of it yet in the timaeus he had himself allowed that god made the world out of pre-existing materials in the statesman he says that there were seas of evil in the world arising out of the remains of a former chaos which could not be got rid of and even in the tenth book of the laws he has admitted that there are two souls a good and evil in the mino the phaedrus and the phaedo he had spoken of the recovery of ideas from a former state of existence but now he has attained to a clearer point of view he has discarded these fancies from meditating on the priority of the human soul to the body he has learnt the nature of soul absolutely the power of the best of which he gave an intimation in the phaedo and in the republic now as in the 
philebus takes the form of an intelligence or person he no longer like anaxagoras supposes mind to be introduced at a certain time into the world and to give order to a pre-existing chaos but to be prior to the chaos everlasting and ever moving and the source of order and intelligence in all things this appears to be the last form of plato's religious philosophy which might almost be summed up in the words of kant the starry heaven above and the moral law within or rather perhaps the starry heaven above and mind prior to the world four the remarks about retail trade about adulteration and about mendicity have a very modern character greek social life was more like our own than we are apt to suppose there was the same division of ranks the same aristocratic and democratic feeling and even in a democracy the same preference for land and for agricultural pursuits Plato may be claimed as the first free trader when he prohibits the imposition of customs on imports and exports, though he was clearly not aware of the importance of the principle which he enunciated. The discredit of retail trade he attributes to the rogueries of traders, and is inclined to believe that if a nobleman would keep a shop, which heaven forbid, retail trade might become honorable. He is hardly lighted upon the true reason, which appears to be the essential distinction between buyers and sellers, the one class being necessarily in some degree dependent on the other. When he proposes to fix prices, which would allow a moderate gain, and to regulate trade in several minute particulars, we must remember that this is by no means so absurd in a city consisting of 5,040 citizens, in which almost every one would know and become known to everybody else, as in our own vast population. Among ourselves, we are very far from allowing every man to charge what he pleases. Of many things, the prices are fixed by law do we not often hear of wages being adjusted in proportion to the profits of employers the objection to regulating them by law and thus avoiding the conflicts which continually arise between the buyers and sellers of labour is not so much the undesirableness as the impossibility of doing so wherever free competition is not reconcilable either with the order of society or as in the case of adulteration with common honesty the government may lawfully interfere the only question is whether the interference will be effectual, and whether the evil of interference may not be greater than the evil which is prevented by it. He would prohibit beggars, because in a well-ordered state no good man would be left to starve. This, again, is a prohibition which might have been easily enforced, for there is no difficulty in maintaining the poor when the population is small. In our own times the difficulty of pauperism is rendered far greater, one by the enormous numbers two by the facility of locomotion three by the increasing tenderness for human life and suffering and the only way of meeting the difficulty seems to be by modern nations subdividing themselves into small bodies having local knowledge and acting together in the spirit of ancient communities parentheses compare capital a r i s t period capital p o l period five regarded as the framework of a polity the laws are deemed by plato to be a decline from the republic which is the dream of his earlier years he nowhere imagines that he has reached a higher point of speculation he is only descending to the level of human things and he often returns to his original idea for the guardians of the republic who were the elder citizens and were all supposed to be philosophers is now substituted a special body who are to review and amend the laws preserving the spirit of the legislator 
these are the nocturnal council who although they are not specially trained in dialectic are not wholly destitute of it for they must know the relation of particular virtues to the general principle of virtue plato has been arguing throughout the laws that temperance is higher than courage peace than war that the love of both must enter into the character of the good citizen and at the end the same thought is summed up by him in an abstract form the true artist or guardian must be able to reduce the many to the one than which as he says with an enthusiasm worthy of the phaedrus or philebus no more philosophical method was ever devised by the wit of man but the sense of unity in difference can only be acquired by study and plato does not explain to us the nature of this study which we may reasonably infer though there is a remarkable omission of the word to be akin to the dialectic of the republic the nocturnal council is to consist of the priests who have obtained the rewards of virtue of the ten eldest guardians of the law and of the director and ex-directors of education each of whom is to select for approval a younger coadjutor to this council the spectator who is sent to visit foreign countries has to make his report it is not an administrative body but an assembly of sages who are to make legislation their study plato is not altogether disinclined to changes in the law where experience shows them to be necessary but he is also anxious that the original spirit of the constitution should never be lost sight of the laws of plato contain the latest phase of his philosophy showing in many respects an advance and in others a decline in his views of life and the world his theory of ideas in the next generation passed into one of numbers the nature of which we gather chiefly from the metaphysics of aristotle of the speculative side of this theory there are no traces in the laws but doubtless plato found the practical value which he attributed to arithmetic greatly confirmed by the possibility of applying number and measure to the revolution of the heavens and to the regulation of human life in the return to a doctrine of numbers there is a retrogression rather than an advance for the most barren logical abstraction is of a higher nature than number and figure philosophy fades away into the distance in the laws it is confined to the members of the nocturnal council the speculative truth which was the food of the guardians in the republic is for the majority of the citizens to be superseded by practical virtues the law which is the expression of mind written down takes the place of the living word of the philosopher Parentheses, compare the contrast of phaedrus and laws also the plays on the words nous nomas nu dianome and the discussion in the statesman of the difference between the personal rule of a king and the impersonal reign of law the state is based on virtue and religion rather than on knowledge and virtue is no longer identified with knowledge being of the commoner sort and spoken of in the sense generally understood yet there are many traces of advance as well as retrogression in the laws of plato the attempt to reconcile the ideal with actual life is an advance to have brought philosophy down from heaven to earth is a praise which may be claimed for him as well as for his master socrates and the members of the nocturnal council are to continue students of the one in many and of the nature of god education is the last word with which plato supposes the theory of the laws to end and the reality to begin
plato's increasing appreciation of the difficulties of human affairs and of the element of chance which so largely influences them is an indication not of a narrower but of a maturer mind which had become more conversant with realities nor can we fairly attribute any want of originality to him because he has borrowed many of his provisions from sparta and athens laws and institutions grow out of habits and customs and they have better opinion better confirmation if they have come down from antiquity and are not mere literary inventions plato would have been the first to acknowledge that the book of laws was not the creation of his fancy but a collection of enactments which had been devised by inspired legislators like minos lycurgus and solon to meet the actual needs of men and had been approved by time and experience in order to do justice therefore to the design of the work it is necessary to examine how far it rests on an historical foundation and coincides with the actual laws of sparta and athens the consideration of the historical aspect of the laws has been reserved for this place in working out the comparison the writer has been greatly assisted by the excellent essays of c f hermann de vestigis institutorum veterum imprimus atticorum per platonus de legibus libros indigantes and eurus domestici et familiaris apud le platonum in legibus sum veteris graeciae inque primus athenarum institutus comparatio marburg eighteen thirty six and by j b telfys corpus juris juris atisi parentheses leipzig eighteen sixty eight end of part twelve